Blame you. All right. Well, hey, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 28. And, uh, you know, we took a little break from Hebrews when I got cut on and uh, disappeared. And um, we're kind of uh, in, in some assorted passages until we pick it back up. But um, uh, I want you to know this, this passage was specifically on my heart this week um, for y'all. And uh, it's at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, quite a worthwhile thing to think about these days. So this is God's word, Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. And this is God's word. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth... Be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I must tell you, if you've faced a major surgery that we have prayed about here today, and I've just experienced a major surgery 32 days ago, exactly today, 32 days, um, I can tell you, you you, you walk out of it in a profoundly weakened state, and I've described a a double knee replacement, Uh, some of you had a, a single or a double. I've described it as like being in a really, really terrible car wreck where they've cut you out of the car with the jaws of life and you wake in the hospital, beep, 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 and you're like, what happened to me? You're just absolutely traumatized. And uh, every little bump, like if somebody goes on your head, you're, it reverberates through your whole body. You're just so tender and so, so just chinked. You know, your armor's just so chinked. Uh, you were just in a profoundly weakened state. And so I was thinking about that, and, and then, you know, since the last time we saw each other face-to-face, uh, the climate in our nation has changed dramatically, hasn't it? Or at least, maybe it hasn't changed. The culture hasn't so much changed as it has been legally articulated. And so since the last time we met face-to-face, things have changed legally in our country, and uh, that puts all kinds of burdens on the church, and introduces all kinds of things as to our relevance, as to our influence, as to the freedom that we might have to believe and speak and yield to God's word and to say things publicly. People in my occupation, it affects that. Uh, the ability for all of us to live out our lives uh, without repercussion as Christians. Uh, a lot of things have changed. But, ladies and gentlemen, do not be lulled into discouragement. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And I'll tell you, it's Jesus' own loving intention that wins. It's his love that wins. It's God's definition of what love is fleshed out in the gospel that ultimately wins. And it's the only thing that matters. You know, in 1 John 4, it says that God is love. And listen, the Bible declares many times that God is lovingly kind. God behaves, behaves lovingly. He acts lovingly. He uh, sets his love on people. But the Bible is also very clear that God is love. That is, he's the 
wellspring of love. He's the source of all love. He's the standard of all love. It all comes from him. It's all his definition. And if we want to know what love is, we just go to Ephesians 2 and we see that God sent for us a savior while we were still sinners. That's how his love is fleshed out. And so this love of the savior, this love of God expressed in the gospel is what this story is about at the end of Matthew. It is the Savior continuing to carry out his ministry, uh, to carry out his wishes. And you might say that uh, Jesus uses his disciples to make more disciples. And uh, I've summarized it this way with our main point here, which is Jesus' ministry dynamically continues through us. And if you were with us with the study of Acts, that's what the book of Acts is all about. It's not, oh, it's the early church. That's not the book of Acts. It is that Jesus' ministry dynamically continues through us. And that's where Matthew is at the end of this gospel. So let's look at our first point together, which is uh, summoned by the Savior. Look at verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, when and where did Jesus do this? Somehow they, you know, you see where we are. We're at the end of the gospel. We're in chapter 28. I mean, you look at the, you look at the chapter before, you've got the death of Jesus. You've got the burial of Jesus. You've got uh, the resurrection, well, the, um, the uh, guard at the tomb and all that. And in 28, now we're at the resurrection. You see where we are in, chronologically. When did Jesus tell the disciples to go to Galilee? Well, um, look at verse 5. The angel said to the women, so uh, Mary and the other Mary, so that's Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, we're told in Mark's account, and there's, another, there's a dude with them too named Salome. But the, the two women are going, and uh, they go to the tomb. They meet up with an angel who gives them a message about Jesus. So chapter five, uh, 28, verse 5, the angel said to the women, uh, skip down to verse 7, go quickly and tell Jesus' disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. All right, so that's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, the, the, the ladies go to the tomb, and uh, even though there's a dude with them, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and Matthew wants it to be very clear that Jesus appeared to women, uh, a, very, a very big, not, I wouldn't say scandalous, but a very significant thing in this culture and a very significant thing even to this day. So Jesus appears to women. He says, go, go tell the disciples that Jesus is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. So that's pretty good. They meet angels. The ladies meet angels, uh, an angel, and the angel tells them this. And so they depart quickly from the tomb. They run with fear and great joy. In verse 8, they run to tell the disciples. And verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so he apparently also directed them to some mountainous place because it says in verse 16, uh, he goes, they go to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus has directed them. And listen, if you study this passage... Um, you know, lots of people want to make a big to-do about the, the fact that they're on a mountain, and they say, well, you know, uh, Moses was on Sinai, that's a mountain, and then, uh, you know, Jesus preached on a mountain, and he was transfigured on a mountain, and, uh, uh, and, and so on, and the, all the significance of, about a mountain, I dig it, that's cool, but I think it's uh, a little, probably a little nutty to run too far with that point. They just happen to be in this place, I believe, on the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, 
Not the, the point is not that they're on a mountain. That's cool. And maybe there's some significance. Maybe the Jewish reader would go, oh, like Moses, ah, maybe. But the point is, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus called the meeting. That's the point. The resurrected Jesus called the meeting. And listen, there's a joyful factor there to be sure. Um, yay, they're meeting with the Savior and all that. But Matthew is writing with a very particular economy, right? You know, if you look at Luke's account, um, you've got the walk to Emmaus. And uh, then you've got Jesus appearing to his disciples, and Thomas is in there too. And then uh, you've got the ascension at the end of, end of the Gospel of Luke. Not so in Matthew. He's writing with a real economy uh, of words. And so Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to get something across. And specifically, I think that is Jesus' authority. And Jesus' authority is a constant running theme throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus teaches with divine authority. You know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, they're, they're amazed at his teaching because he, he teaches with authority, not as the scribes did. And that's, it just doesn't mean he had a lot of enthusiasm or he had a lot of conviction. It means that he had a, a proposed uh, divine authority. It's like they listen to Jesus and they're going, wow, it's, it's like he was involved in writing this law. Or that he's got the right to interpret this law and tell us what this law really meant all along. Wow, Jesus speaks with this divine authority. Yeah. And so uh, the Gospel of Matthew goes on and Jesus performs miracles that validate his divine authority. Very big theme in Matthew. Uh, What about Jesus forgiving sins? Very different from me saying, oh, yeah, man, uh, you know, uh, uh, you you, you cussed me out. I forgive you, Bobby, again. And... uh, it's very different from me saying, oh, I'm sorry, I forgive you. But Jesus, is, Jesus forgives sins like he's got the right to forgive a person's sins in a divine way. That's authority. Uh, and the Gospel of Matthew shows that. And, of course, at the end here, Jesus calls his disciples to carry out a job for him. That would be authority. That's what Matthew's got on his mind. Now, uh, application for your life. Keep your finger where you are and fly over to uh, Daniel, if you would. So go to the middle of your Bible, hang a hard right. Uh, Psalms, you'll find uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, big book, and then Daniel. Daniel 7. And uh, I, I've, you, I've read this to you before. It's, uh, it's awesome, and it, is, it points at Jesus. Um, let's just go ahead and start in verse 13. Daniel 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And you know that Jesus called himself the son of man over and over in the Gospels. That was his favorite word, favorite term to use of himself. And, and it's not that he's just saying, hey, I'm human, I'm like you guys. He's, he's, it's, it's freighted. It, 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 it harkens back to this. He came, uh, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, that's, that's Yahweh, and was presented before him. And listen, in verse 14, this is of the son of man. This is about Jesus. And he wants, Jesus wants us to think this way about him. To him was given a dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's Jesus. Now flip ahead, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. 
Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, we'll pick it up in verse 20. Ephesians 1 verse 20, it speaks of God the Father, His power, okay? God the Father's power, Ephesians uh, 1, chapter 1 verse 20, that He, God the Father, worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things in all ways. Now, does that sound like a Jesus who is in charge? I mean, does that sound like um, the Jesus of the Bible has authority? I say that the Bible wants to make it very clear that you must believe this if you trust the Bible. You must believe that Jesus has unlimited and consummate power over the universe without restriction or conclusion. You must believe that if you're going to believe this book. A a shorthand for that would be this. Jesus' ministry dynamically continues through us. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the how. This is the how. That Jesus is the, the boss that he's got the divine authority, he's got the power to help us, and that uh, brings us to the second point, mm. sent by the Savior. Um, so back to our passage here, um, verse 17. Um, there's a story note. When the disciples saw him, the 11, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, I just want I have to pause here for just one stack, a second. Um, some preachers get very quickly excited over that sentence, uh, that verse. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Because let me tell you, when, when, you're, when you're in my biz, you read something like that, you go, hot dog. That will preach. I mean, like, a, like it'll, be, it'll preach. Um, uh, we could say, oh, uh, we should choose worship over doubt. We'll be in a six-week series on choosing worship over doubt. Okay, that would preach, wouldn't it? Be very exciting. It'd look great in a bulletin or on a blinking sign in Cordova. Um, or how about, um, ladies and gentlemen, Christians, we can both worship and doubt at the same time. Okay, that, that'll preach too. That's pretty good, man. I mean, you could go, you'd go to a series on that too. And listen, both of those things are true. Uh, yes, we should choose worship over doubt. And indeed, we're an, an alloyed uh, Alloyed, uh, limping folk. Uh, yeah, we can, we can worship and doubt at the same time. Both of those things are true. But ladies and gentlemen, I mean, must we launch into some complex uh, conclusion about this verse um, and, and drag poor Thomas into it uh, for crying out loud for 30 minutes? You know, I mean, perhaps the symbolist rendering will suffice, which is um, that they saw him and worshiped him, but some doubted. I mean, it, we don't have to think that Jesus just poofed onto the scene like a swami. Um, they go to where Jesus tells them. They're walking to the place Jesus tells them. They're going, okay, where is he? I mean, a mountain is a big place. They're looking, they're looking. Jesus comes and they see him and they go, I think that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Some of them fall down and worship and some are going, I don't know, is it him? I'm not really sure it's him. Can it just mean that? I think it probably does. No offense to everybody else, but I think that's all that means. I think it is a, a narrative and I think it's a story note. All right. Either way, in verse 18, eventually they all dig it. 
Because Jesus came and said to them, all of them, all 11 of them, he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go. He says, go. Now, here's the authority we saw again. So Jesus, he, he comes, the disciples come to him, he, and he, he, says, he gives a command, go. He tells them to go. But he doesn't say go until he reminds them that all authority has been given to me. And that's exactly what we were talking about. That whole last point is the authority that Jesus has. Now, what's so interesting about it is when it says Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth, some of your Bible translations will say all power. I would say 36% of Bible translations say all power has been given to me. Uh, Most of yours probably say all authority. And um, indeed, both words are acceptable translations of the Greek word. They are because it's an authoritative power, not unlike a policeman with a gun and a badge. Um, if, If you were here for gumbo on Wednesday, one of my favorite moments, I think my favorite moment was um, Kevin Wieters was up here, and, you know, he worked for the DEA, which is kind of pretty cool, right? And, and listen, well, I'm not supposed to say it, but he worked even higher up, too. That's, that's like, he didn't want to get shot. So, so we had to limit it to the DEA. So anyway, so he's up here, and Joey Selipat goes, he just throws in, he goes, hey, did you have a gun? And Kevin goes, no. And, I mean, just like that, Joey goes, eh. You know, like, completely dismissed his career. <laughs> Because he didn't have a gun. I just thought that was so funny. And, and, but anyway, that came to mind as I'm reading this. It's like, hey, it's not like, it's not like Jesus is uh, just working for the, you know, working for the Christian department. Um, he's got the authority. You know, it's like a TV show. Give me your gun and your badge on the desk. I mean, that's the, we just know that that's the, the thing we look at to, to, to validate it. Well, um, the, when Jesus says go, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's not a command, it's a suggestion. I mean, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. <laughs> it's not a suggestion, it's a command. And he's got the authority to do it. He says, go, therefore, make disciples, because I've got all the authority in heaven and on earth. It's all been given to me. And he says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of Son and Spirit and so on, and then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And there you see again, it is indeed a command. Now, um, it, it, uh, it sounds very similar to the summoning of the Apostle Paul, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus comes to the Apostle Paul and he commands him. And he speaks with authority. He commissions him. And um, let that shape your thoughts, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to help apply this. Let that shape your thoughts about the way God works in salvation and works with you. Um, God doesn't just make suggestions. And uh, he's not this kind of uh, smarmy, weak savior who feels like you did him a big fat favor because you trusted him a little bit. Jesus is the one with all the authority and all the power. He's the head of the church. He's the head of the universe. And when God summons you, he summons you. He calls you. He claims you. Uh, Let that shape the way you think about the gospel, the nature of it. Uh, A Christian is the property of Jesus Christ. And that has giant implications uh, for us. So let's go to the next point. Um, Equipped by the Savior. Um, yeah, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples 
uh, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, that, that go th- therefore thing, um, if Jesus has the authority, if he's doing the sending, then, ladies and gentlemen, he must be doing the equipping. He's sending, but he's equipping also to carry out his task. Uh, and, and the task is broader than usually uh, painted. I think that if you polled most Christians and you said, hey, end of Matthew, I mean the end of Matthew, the Great Commission, the Great Commission, um, what's that all about? What's the Great Commission all about? I think 98 out of 100 Christians would say evangelism, that it's about evangelism. The Great Commission is about evangelizing the world. And listen, it is about evangelizing the world, but that's not how Jesus puts it. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples. He doesn't say start an evangelism program. He says make disciples. Now, you can't have disciples without evangelism. I mean, evangelism is implied. It's the necessary part, right? You have to share the gospel. And, and faith comes by hearing and, hear, and, 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 and that by the word of God. But ladies and gentlemen, he doesn't say go evangelize. He says make disciples. Um, I'll tell you this too. Um, the so-called Great Commission only takes place after a great assertion. And the great assertion is, all authority has been given to me. Go. I got all the power. I got everything you need. Now go. Remember, remember the great assertion. I'm building my kingdom in my way. And the goal isn't merely membership. Uh, it is discipleship. And you know, I, I heard someone ask one time, to give a definition of what a disciple is. I wonder what you would say. I mean, we're disciples of Jesus Christ, right? What does that mean? What is a disciple? If somebody said, if, you're, if your non-Christian neighbor said, you know what, I know you guys follow this Jesus and, uh, and you would say that you're a disciple of Jesus. What is a disciple? You wanna know what a disciple is? A disciple is someone used by God who makes more disciples. That's what a disciple is. It's not joining the equestrian club. It's making disciples. That's what a disciple does is make more disciples. And I'll tell you, I could, I could apply it easily because, uh, you know, who, who, did you dig Aaron Jackie up here last week with Chris Luke? Was that not a cool thing? Um, you know, that mentor relationship, um, I greatly encourage it. And, Ron, you know, Ron Stewart's here right now. Um, you know, Ron Stewart and Bob Wood, you heard last, was it last summer we talked about it? Um, are in a mentor relationship where Bob Wood went to uh, Ron Stewart and, and said, uh, would you ever want to uh, have a, an older man in your life weigh in and uh, meet with you regularly and be an influence in your life? And Ron eloquently said, yeah, who? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Bob was like, um, me, little old me. I mean, you didn't think uh, you'd get Cary Grant, you know? Um, but, um, and then you look at Jeff Nevels, too, a guy like Jeff Nevels. I mean, he has like 47 people that he's involved with at all times in all different, all over the place. And, and what I'm saying to you is um, we're not just in the evangelism business where we hand out a, a, a tract at the Marilyn Manson concert, you know, uh, <laughs> to, to totally date myself. But, um, but, uh, we're in the business of making disciples. We're, we're in the business of uh, growing each other up, being used by God. And so there's two very clear and compatible and necessary sides. We are to go and we are to make disciples. 
And we are to teach them and observe all that I've commanded you. And what has Jesus commanded? I mean, everything from the prophets to the Old Testament, everything that pointed to him, the gospels uh, that, uh, that are testimony to him, the parables that he taught, um, the, uh, the uh, apostle Paul who uh, carries out his, uh, his, the doctrine of, the, of salvation and so on. And so, yes, people are brought into salvation and a triune baptism evidences and validates that rebirth. But growing up the saints, ladies and gentlemen, is a lifelong investment. We go and we make disciples. We go and we make disciples. All right. Uh, last thing uh, on this point, and uh, we're getting close. Um, I, I, I may or may not have told you this, but, uh, you know, I've had, I've had a very sketchy past, and I've had a number of different weird jobs. But one of those weird jobs was I worked at 201 Poplar. Did you, did anybody, who did not know that I worked at 201 Poplar? Okay. Well, you know, I, did, I was there for eight or nine months. And uh, it was back when people were smoking indoors still, you know, so it was just smoky all the time and you had to wear a suit and tie. And I mean, I would just walk down the hallway, just fan the whole time because it was just dense cigarette smoke. Um, But I was a court clerk and it was kind of a rotating job. Okay. So I wasn't in the courtroom like a real, like a court clerk, court clerk. I was kind of like a low crummy file clerk guy. But um, what was so interesting about it was... um, I, could, I looked up all my friends and see if they ever had a DUI uh, in the computer. And then I would also um, go into the... I could pull all the files and look through all the police records and stuff like that. And then this was the really fun part of the job where they'd be like, oh, yeah, there's a case going on in, in courtroom, whatever it was, and we need such and such a file. And so I'd, I'd walk in and I'd go through little Perry Mason gates and hand it to the a person up there and walk out again, you know. So walked into a room and hand somebody a file. So I did a lot of that, but... I would also have to work the front desk for a while, which was amazing because bounty hunters would come in all the time. Tearful grannies would come in. You'd have people who were uh, arrested, and they'd have a court case in two or three different courtrooms that same day, like multiple, uh, multiple arrests and so on. And then you had the man on the switchboard for an hour a day, which was this dirty, disgusting phone that you, know, you just had to wipe down. And uh, it was General Sessions Court, how do you hold? General Session Court, can you hold? General Session Court, you'd have seven on hold at all times. They'd be on hold for 20 minutes. What was so wild was I was, um, I had no thought that I'd ever be in the ministry. I mean, it was so, it wasn't even like maybe one day in. I was, it was not even a thought. Um, but I would, I started seeing these people in these very broken situations and, you know, you'd, you'd get somebody on the phone, uh, General Sessions, can you hold, please? And then you pick one up, and this person's crying. And uh, you, you look them up, and you're like, dude, you've got two warrants for your arrest. I mean, you're going to get pulled over for something, a taillight. And, and I would counsel them on how to get, I'd say, get your life in order, call a, a, a bail bondsman, call your family, and then get everything set, and then go turn yourself in peaceably and go through the process. It's the only But then I would say, but what you really need is an eternal answer. And I would share the gospel on the, you know, Shelby County's dime. <laughs> and, and leave all those other lines blinking, you know. And that may or may not have been right or wrong, but I, I think it was right. Uh, and then I had got two 15-minute breaks a day. And so I'd work that front counter, and I would save my two 15-minute... You could take them any day, all day long. And I would save my two 15-minute breaks for somebody who was really messed up or open. 
And they'd come in and they'd have a problem and I would help them. So I really was helping them with their life. I really was helping them with their situation on the phone or in person. And I would say, hey, you know what? I got a 15-minute break and I know about one fairly private bench that nobody really knows about in the midst of all that people, that big sea of people. If you'd like me to pray for you, I'd be glad to do that. And I mean, I, would, I did it over, uh, lots of times, a couple times a week. I would go pray with somebody at this little bench that I knew about. All that to say, I look back on that and I think, in some ways, it was like a, a training ground for vocational ministry, you know? In some ways, it, it kind of affirmed later on the calling that I was having to do this kind of thing full time. And yet, I look back on it and I can call it what it really was. You know what it was? You. That's what it was. It was just a guy who never thought he was going to be in the ministry living life with a wife and a job and paying your bills and running into people and looking for an open opportunity to actually really invest in somebody's life, actually really uh, help them, and actually really um, present an eternal reality and help for them. That that's what you're supposed to be doing. And I'll, I'll tell you, don't turn, but let me just tell you. Um, we're in the home stretch. I'll wrap it up in a second here. But let me just tell you. Um, when we talked through the book of Ephesians, one of the things that really just stuck with me about that book is this. Um, it, it, don't turn, but in chapter 4, it says, um, um, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers... And in some Bible translations, you know, it's got, it's uh, comma, uh, comma. You know, there's no punctuation in the original manuscript, right? In the, so, but, but for English, it's, it's helping us understand. And so uh, some Bible translations say, um, and uh, he gave some to be apostles, comma, prophets, comma, evangelists, comma, pastors and teachers, comma, to equip the saints, comma, bad comma, for the work of ministry, comma, for building up uh, the body of Christ. English, there, there are English translations that put a comma in a horribly bad place. They make it sound like, oh, yes, you got the prose evangelist, you got pastor's gifts, uh, teacher's gifts, equipping the saints' gifts. No, no, no. It is this. God has evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and here's the reality, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what this is supposed to be doing, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's not the pros have it, the pros have it, the pros have it, the pros have it, the pros have it. No, 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 no. It's the pros are given spiritual gifts, not pros, but, but, but we're, the spiritual gifts are given so that the saints may be equipped to do the work of ministry. I am a guy who works in a church and I talk like this to people like this. I don't work at 201 Poplar anymore. But you guys have your own versions of it. And so I beseech you to, to obey the Savior. When he says go, it doesn't mean you have to go to Bangladesh. You can just go on Monday and look for hurt and look for an opening and look for a tender heart and pray that someone's heart may be tenderized and always be ready to have an answer. Um, that, that's, that's what the Savior would have you do, to go and make disciples. All right, last point, and uh, we'll bring it on home. Um, 
comforted in the Savior. Uh, briefly on this point, authority has come up, Christ's authority in every single discussion, right? In every point, we're talking about Christ's authority. So the foundation is, uh, is it, there's, there's a very sweet reality then. Um, verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always and to the end of the age. Now listen, don't read that carelessly and go, oh yeah, Jesus is with us for a long time. Yay. It's true. I mean, when he says, I'm with you to the end of the age, that's a long time. And guess what? Beyond this age, eternity. You're with the, with the Savior in his radiant glory. Pretty good. But don't limit it to just that because that's not what he says. When he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, he's not just saying for a super duper long time. When he says always, guess what that means? Today, <laughs> right this minute. I'm with you right now. I'm right with you in every instance. And he sends his spirit um, as a reality and a validation of that. And so um, when it comes to evangelism, friends, when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to this herky-jerky Christian life that we live in, uh, remember, Christ is always near you. To the end of the age, it's true. Beyond the end of the age, it's true. But he's here now. Uh, he'll be with you tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. So go and make disciples. Last thing we'll close up. Um, I was walking down the hall, you know, like I walk now, which is like an 85-year-old English gentleman. Uh, just walking through the hall. And, uh, you know, Landon has a, I think he had 17 interns on the um, senior high trip. And, I mean, it's not just kids on a bus. It's really, really well coached. And uh, so he had uh, Parker Herstel teaching in Wednesday night uh, youth back there. And, um, and so Parker had texted me some stuff, and I gave him a little bit of advice. I told him a few things. We went back and forth. And anyway, Landon and I were walking down the hall right out, right out here, right, right there. And we were going, yeah, you know, it's amazing. Um, Parker did a great job, and Landon had coached him too before he got up there. And the thing you really want to coach him on is this. Every, every intern who gets up and does a gospel thing, um, and I will say this too, like every, not, not every, but most lay people who get up and, and do some kind of uh, preaching scenario or a young preacher, they, they get up there and they go, they, it's, it's such an easy mistake to make, and I, I make it too. They get up there and they go, okay, well, God did this and God did this and, and uh, Jesus empowers you and Jesus has all the authority and Jesus commands you and, uh, and then it's application time. And you know what the application is? Now go get them. That's the application. Or go do better. All right, now go live a better life this week. That's not a good application. <laughs> It goes contrary. Now, listen, um, it's good to try hard. It's good to want to improve. It's good to have goals. It's good to buy a Fitbit, which I have on my wrist now. I'm tracking steps. It's good to do that. But ladies and gentlemen, no spiritual good can come unless it is wrought by the Holy Spirit of God. No spiritual good can come unless it's by the Spirit's enabling. So listen, here's the biblical reality. The Bible says in Galatians 5.25, that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. You know what that means? We're supposed to want to. We're supposed to try to. 
We're supposed to exert ourselves. It's good. We're to keep in step with the Spirit. It also says that we're supposed to put on the new self and take off the old self. That means that we're involved, right? It doesn't mean we're just laying there going, okay, God, lay it on me and and, uh, exact change. No. Um, It says that we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12. It says we're supposed to put off our new selves uh, on the new selves. We're supposed to put away falsehood. In no way does the Bible ever suggest that spiritual health can be achieved um, by laying there or just by sheer gospel exertion either. The, the, the balance of that reality is this. Jesus' ministry dynamically continues through us. Do we carry it out? We sure do. Do we look for opportunities? We sure do. do, we, do should we keep in step with the Holy Spirit? We sure should. Do we try hard? Absolutely. But man, not on our own power. It's Jesus' authority. It's the Spirit's power. It's the Spirit that Jesus and the Father sent. Jesus' ministry dynamically continues through us. It's his ministry empowered by his own might. And that is our calling and our comfort and our capability. Lord Jesus, we love you and um, are amazed at you. You um, loved us enough to lay down your life in uh, complete harmony um, with the Father and the Spirit, this triune God saving sinners uh, by this wonderful compact in heaven. It's, it's amazing. And we, we praise you and we thank you and, and uh, we hear you. Um, You've commanded us to go and to make disciples and to teach and to um, be comforted in you and to know that you're present and working. And we pray that you would just impress that upon us, upon our lives. And I pray for this people that they would be equipped um, today and tomorrow morning and in the days to come to uh, look for the lost, to hurt for the hurting, and to be ready to offer a gospel help. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Good to be back.